Well, this morning as we continue working through our Easter season, as we were officially in it this week, we are focusing on Jesus, our, our difference maker. You know, when Jesus comes to dwell within us, he comes with his Holy Spirit, brings salvation, but he also brings transformation. He brings change. He takes a new viewpoint in life, and he gives it to us, and he gives us a better way of living a life that's changed. Last week, we talked about that transformation of the Passover and that strange little story into what became what we call the Lord's Supper. And Jesus broke the mold of that event, uh, revealing the way to experience transformation. He showed us that we, we, have, we have to change the past. We can't stay in the past and the ways things were. We have to choose to live a life of gratefulness, to count the cost, and also be prepared for those around us who might betray us if uh, they see the change in us. Now we find a scene this morning that it seems to be out of place, uh, at least to me, although we know the scriptures were put together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so they're right. Here's the scene. We just finished the amazing experience of the Passover being transformed. And they were either headed to the Garden of Gethsemane or they were still in the room getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where they're going to spend hours of prayer and the arrest of Jesus and all of those things that followed after that. But in between here, there is an event that is unusual. But it was actually something that's been mentioned several times in, in the New Testament, so it's not that unusual. It's just the placement of it is. But I want to read this passage, uh, and then we'll look at the, the outline. Verse 24, uh, Luke twenty-two twenty-four picks up with these words. A dispute also arose among them, referring to the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Father God, I pray that as we look at this kind of unusual passage, kind of sandwiched in here between two highlights in the last few days of Jesus' earthly life, that, Father, you would teach us what we need to see here, that we would understand that your kingdom is completely different. Society as a follower of Jesus is upside down to the ways of the world. And, that, Father, you call us to a different standard, a different way of living. Help us to grasp that. Help us to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's four things I want you to see from this passage. The first one is this. Jesus perceives that their unity is threatened. Look what's going on here. We're either right after the change of the Passover before they go to the garden or on the way to the garden. We're not really given the exact location, but this strange interaction is recounted right here for a reason. Now, Matthew and Mark both record a similar encounter outside of the context of Lord's Supper. Luke includes it earlier in his gospel a second time, or this would be the second time here. And I suspect what we have is this, a recurring discussion that has been going on among the disciples of Jesus, the apostles of Jesus. They've had this conversation more than once about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who is the most important, who is the top dog, if you will, on the team. It's a recurring description and discussion because, listen, 
it's something that all of us as humans, if we're honest, wonder about, don't we? Am I the top dog or not? Am I going to win or not? Am I the pot, top of the, the heap or not? Have I conquered the mountain or not? Because we find to ourselves, what can I do to become a person of influence? How can I influence others? How can I become a person of authority? And we may wonder, well, how, how can we get others to come around to our point of view? But in this moment, such a discussion honestly was unimportant and really was pointless because there were a lot of bigger things going on. And yet, in this moment, his disciples are starting to bicker with each other about who's greatest. It would be humorous if it wasn't so sad. Because Jesus has just finished celebrating the Lord's table with his disciples for the last time. They're about to go or on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where a few short hours later, Jesus' betrayer is going to show up and betray him. And the closest people in all the world to Jesus, here's what they're doing. Well, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be first? Who's going to be on top? Who's going to win? I don't know about you, but I find that to just be strange. It it, it seems like a perfectly normal conversation. They're jockeying for position in the Jesus organization. Are you the CEO? Are you the president? Are you one of the employees. Who are you going to be in this structure? But I suspect Jesus has heard them or at least overheard them and he has much sadness, much frustration with them. He's about to submit to the will of God. He's about to go to the cross to die for the sin of the redeemed. He's about to accomplish the purpose he came for. He's going to suffer before laying down his life. He's going to be buried in a borrowed tomb for three days. He's going to rise from the dead afterwards. I've got to tell you, making the determination of who was greatest in the kingdom of God was not at the top of his list for the day. Not so his disciples. These men had already, already heard Jesus say at least once, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I suspect the proper and godly way to become great in the kingdom of God is not by saying, I'm first, I'm important, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, but by humbling ourselves and become like little children. See, the path to greatness in God's kingdom isn't found when we impose our will. It isn't found when we belittle others. It's not found when we destroy our enemies. Rather, the right path, according to Jesus at least, is better, greater, and higher. Jesus saw this conversation for what it was, a threat to kingdom unity. He says, why are you doing this? As I said, it would be humorous if it wasn't so familiar, wouldn't it? It happens so often, even in our lives. These men are going to need unity to walk together after the crucifixion. We need unity to walk together today. And we find ourselves bickering among ourselves sometimes going, who's important? Who's the one? Who's number one? Who's number two? Who's the best? Who's one? Who's great? And Jesus goes, oh, child, why? Then Jesus presents the ways of the world. Look at verse 25. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, with a thread of unity swirling around the team that day, Jesus goes a step further and says, Whoa, 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 time out. This is how the world lives. He points out their, uh, brings their attention, and by the way, I think ours as well, to the ways of the world. He says explicitly, The kings of the Gentiles, you're going, Well, that's not us. 
But he's implying in that statement, anyone who rejects the ways of God. So he says, here's what the kings of the Gentiles do. They exercise lordship around those, those around them. They puff themselves up with pride. They fill themselves with arrogance that creates great tension among people. And those actions create an animosity in life that is not necessary and is surely not desired in the kingdom of God. But this was what the disciples were doing in the shadow of the Lord's table. Jesus goes a step further, calls out the broader problem of authority. See, these intimate disciples are struggling with a concept that you and I face every day. You go, what's that? Paying the gas bill at the pump? No, that's not the struggle we have every day, though we have that struggle now, don't we? That's not the biggest struggle we have. The biggest struggle we have is this, is will God be God or will I be God? Will I be in charge or will God lead? That's the struggle we all face. And Jesus presents the way of the world as this. The world says, I'm going to be in charge. The world says, I'm going to be the boss. The world says, I'm going to be little G God of my life. I'm going to lift myself up. I'm not going to lift up God. Look, can I tell you something? That's the issue that Adam and Eve dealt with. They wanted whose way? Their way, not God's way. That's the decision you and I face every day. Who's going to lead our lives? I'm reminded of the challenge and even the declaration that Joshua made to the people of God as they were in the process of going into this promised land. You're probably familiar with part of this passage. But Joshua 24 says this, Now therefore, Paul, uh, David, Joshua says to the people, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. That's a declaration that, my friends, you and I have to make, not just once when we trust Christ in salvation, but it's really a decision we have to make every single day. Please understand, following the God of the Bible will always demand a choice between letting God lead and you being in charge. Seems to me that many of our struggles in life arise when we say, I'm going to be the boss. And his disciples are having that exact debate that day. Why is that? It's because the ways of the world run contrary to the ways of God. The world operates on one standard, God's on another. The worries of the world, it thinks this way. God thinks another. And we have to find ourselves in one. We're going to find ourselves in one or the other, but we get to choose which one it's going to be. We can choose the wrong path, as the disciples were, or we can choose a better path. So Jesus, Jesus perceives unity threatened. He presents the ways of the world. Third, he projects the better way. He says, here is the better way. Look at verse 26. But not so. Who's he speaking to? The disciples. He says, but not so with you. I don't know about you. If I was one of the disciples, I would have standing there like my hand was in the cookie jar and mom said, don't touch it. What in the world am I doing? He says, but not so with you. Rather, let the youngest, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Of course it is. Jesus, we know that everyone who sits at the table is the most important and the servants come along and serve. And Jesus says, but I am among you as the one who what? Serves. 
Wow. Now we find Jesus' clear calling to the better way of God. But understand, this way is never comfortable, it is never easy, and it surely doesn't come to us naturally, just like it didn't for them. When we follow the path of least resistance, we can be fairly certain we're headed in the wrong direction. When we do what feels right is when we usually find ourselves in the wrong place. And Jesus points them the way the world is completely wrong. He says, it is not so with you. Instead, among the followers of Jesus, the greatest becomes the youngest. The one on top takes a place of subservience. Talk about making a massive difference in life, huh? Jesus turns it all upside down and says, wait, wait, wait. The way the world works isn't so with you. You know, when we hear this with our modern ears, there's something inside of us that starts shouting, but, but, but that's not how it works. That's not the way the world works. The world says this, you've got to push yourself out front. The world says this, you've got to uh, advertise yourself. You've got to put yourself first. You've got to tell everybody what you've done. Look at this, look at that. I think that drives a lot of our social media posts. Look at it. Look at my family, look at this, look at this. There's nothing wrong with pictures, but listen, when we put ourselves out first, we're saying that we're one, not last. You know, there's an inner voice that we've all had since birth that tells us this. The way to get ahead is what? To lead. The way to get ahead is to dominate. The way to get ahead is to expect others to serve us. I got a little secret for you this morning. The little voice you've always heard in your head from birth is damaged and flawed by sin. Did you hear me? The little voice in our head says, well, this is, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Let me tell you what, if you're listening to the, head, the voice in your head, not the voices in your head, but the voice in your head, my friend, you're listening to the wrong person. We're called to listen to the voice of who? Of God. That voice that we hear will lead us down a path of destruction. It'll lead you to a place that you just don't want to go and you don't surely want to exist very long. And this is where Jesus throws proverbial cold water on our stinking thinking by plainly saying, but I am among you as one who serves. Wait a second, Jesus. What are you talking about? I thought you were the leader of the team. I thought you were the boss. I thought you were the king. I thought you were the ruler. And Jesus does lead his team, but he leads it, get this, as a servant leader. Paul describes it this way, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. But Patrick, that's not how the world works. That's my point. We're not called to live the ways of the world. We're called to live the ways of Jesus. We're called to a higher standard. We would say promote ourselves, make sure other people know our accomplishments, make sure that everyone knows the good that we've done. These and so many more things that we do are simply not the way of Jesus. And for you and I as a follower of Jesus to refuse to follow the example and direction of Jesus never works out. Fourth. So Jesus pursues a higher higher calling. Look at verse 28 says, you are those, he's still talking to his disciples, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes 
of Israel. So there's a threat to unity perceived in this moment. The ways of the world are understood and then rejected. And Jesus calls them to do this. There's a higher calling for you. Followers of Jesus can spend their days bickering over who is the greatest in the kingdom. Oh, did you know? Many do. Or we can grasp the high calling of Jesus. You go, that's too simplistic. I don't think it is. See, I wake up every day, you wake up every day, and we have a decision to make, don't we? Who's going to lead my life today? Who's going to be in charge of my life? You go, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't have to worry about that. Oh, listen, this is not a pastor thing. This is a child of God thing that we have to make the decision on who's going to lead and rule and run our lives. Well, I'm going to. Case closed. But you miss the blessing of God in that. The preferred path, the better way, the more excellent way, if you will, is what Jesus calls us to. Notice Jesus observes those to whom he's speaking or those who stayed with him. He says, y'all have hung out with me in the hard times. Judas is already gone at this point, I believe. He's already left the inner circle. He's going to make his arrangement to betray and he's going to be done. These are the 11 who remain faithful, at least for now. And as a result of their faithfulness, Jesus calls him and says this, don't give up, keep on going. Don't give up, but keep going for the higher calling. You see the beautiful part there for us? You go, but I've made mistakes. How many times had Peter made a mistake or two along the way already? He was going to make another one within 24 hours. But as a result of their continued faithfulness, Jesus says, keep going, keep going, keep going for the higher calling, keep listening, keep following. And he sees the pathway where they're going to make the greater difference in the lives of those they encounter. And in fact, he reveals to them something they probably didn't even fully understand at this point. He says, I'm going to give you a kingdom. And you're going... What kingdom did he give these guys? He didn't give them the kingdom of England. He didn't give them the kingdom of India, okay? It's not about a geographic location. It's about a place of service within the broader kingdom of God that he has for these men. And guess who else he's got it for? For you and for me. A place to step in and and fill others with the presence of God through us as flawed as we are. He makes a covenant with his followers that says, I've got something bigger for you. I've got a broader kingdom for you. I've got a a life for you. And what may be unclear is the role here. I I studied some of the scholars on this one and you kind of go, there's a couple ways to interpret this. I'm not going to spend too much on it, but I want you to see the the possibilities because I think it's interesting, if nothing else, is, is, is he talking about the literal nation of Israel or is it some kind of metaphorical leading the church in the first century? I don't know if it really matters. Because either way, the life of service, when we choose to do that as followers of Jesus, then we're able to do what? Greater things than even he did, which is what he told us we'd do. Did you, you remember that verse? He says, you're going to do greater things than I've done as you're faithful. Following the life of service, we find great things. The writer in Proverbs told us this. A man's gift, a person's gift, makes room for them and brings them before the great. One of the beautiful things about following Jesus is he not only saves us. Y'all like that? I like that part, okay? I don't have to go to hell. 
That's a good one, okay? But he also gifts us with certain abilities and skills and talents and spiritual gifts in this life to do what he has for us, which is different than the person sitting next to you, different than the person sitting across the building from you, different than the guy talking this morning, okay? But we all have this place of service. And your gift that he gives you will make room for you. But it goes to work when we surrender our lives to his purpose, to his ways, and find his high purpose in life. And we either move in the direction where he's honored and blessed, or we don't. Now, the first step to getting there is this, knowing Jesus. Many of you would say, I know Jesus. Praise God. That's the first step. Some of you in the room don't know him yet. You go, I don't know if I want to know him. I've met some of his people. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Jesus is better than his people. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you a purpose in eternity. But for, like I say, for many of us, we've trusted Christ. But I'm afraid many of us have taken control back and said, I'm going to run it myself. I'm going to be little G, God. I'm the boss. I'm here to tell you, I've done it, you've done it. And there is no peace and there is no blessing and there is no joy found in that pathway. Because the Holy Spirit within you will battle with you and you will be miserable if you're trying to run it yourself. So, child of God, my challenge to you is this. Today, say, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the leader. You're in charge. I want to follow your will. For some of you, you need to trust him as Savior. We want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Father God, we come to you acknowledging that we are imperfect, that we battle with that inner voice that is flawed and foolish even at times, God. And what we want to do is to lay our lives at your feet. For some, it might be the very first time by saying, God, I trust you with my life. I've never done that, but I want to trust you. I want to ask you to forgive me. I want you to come into my life and give me a new life. For many of us in this room, that prayer was years ago. And the prayer we need to pray now is, forgive me for taking control back. Forgive me for trying to run my life apart from your leading. Help me to lay my life at your feet anew. Today, tomorrow, the next day. I want to find the joy by following you. God, I pray for those who have certain decisions they need to make because you've been working in their hearts, Father, for long before they came here. I pray that you'd open their hearts to you. We pray your hand in these few moments. In Jesus' name.